Coming up this evening on NTD Business, China is promoting its central bank digital currency during the Winter Olympics. But is it getting the traction it wants? And how does it compare to other payment methods people are using in China? One of the biggest banks in the world is officially in the metaverse. It says the opportunity is worth a ton. And luxury retailers are actually moving out of airports, but they are a big source of income. So what will the airports do now? That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Paul Graney here, live from New York City. The New York Stock Exchange is one step closer to trading digital assets. It's filed a trademark application to register the term NYSE for a marketplace for non-fungible tokens, or NFTs. With NFTs, you can take art or other property and, quote, tokenize it, creating a digital certificate you can buy or sell. If the NYSE launches a new marketplace, it would compete with others like OpenSea, which was valued at over $13 billion after its latest funding round. But don't get your hopes up too soon. An NYSE spokesman said the exchange has no immediate plans to launch crypto or NFT trading. They say the NYSE often considers new products and their impact on trademarks, and the exchange protects its intellectual property rights accordingly. One of the biggest banks on Wall Street is opening shop in the digital world, in the metaverse to be sure. JP Morgan just launched a lounge in the metaverse through the virtual platform Decentraland. The largest bank in America said the metaverse presents a trillion dollar opportunity. And while it was just a few months ago, the bank's CEO said Bitcoin, the biggest cryptocurrency, is worthless. But now in its latest report, the bank referenced a parcel of virtual land in the metaverse doubling in price from $6,000 in June of last year to $12,000 in December. I also mentioned other companies have entered the metaverse, including Walmart, Adidas, and Nike. And China is aiming to make a splash at the Olympics with its own digital currency. Currency is issued by the country's central bank and can be easily tracked. So how did the launch go at the Games? Anthony's Don Ma has the details. China had hoped for a splashy debut of its central bank's digital currency at the Olympics. Winter Olympic game in Beijing provides the perfect application scenario for digital yuan. But it seems the results were different from what they had hoped. Global viewership is way down. Um, it's, about, it's roughly about half in the U.S. Um, and with boycotts happening at, at various levels, their overall foot traffic and attendance level, like, well, I know it's that's much lower. At Olympic venues, the digital yuan is one of three methods for transactions. Foreign visitors can exchange their home currency for the digital yuan, or they could use Visa or cash. But it seems people there aren't overly enthusiastic about using the digital yuan. So symbolically, it's more of a symbolic marketing thing than it is an actual pragmatic thing, because I don't think that a wide swath of the population is using this right now. A senior official from China's central bank says only around $315,000 in payments are being made daily at the Olympic Games. By comparison, major Chinese electronic payment service Alipay processes billions of dollars in transactions a day. It may be an uphill battle for China's central bank to compete. I don't think the party will ultimately allow that kind of competition. I think if they want to have it nationwide, they'll make it mandatory. They'll co-opt WeChat or Alipay. 
But whether we like it or not, former U.S. representative to the World Bank Eric Bethel tells the Epoch Times that the transition from physical money to digital is inevitable. Don Ma, NTD News. And down on Wall Street today, stocks shook off an early slump and did mixed for the day. The Dow fell 55 points, less than two-tenths of a percent. S&P 500 gained four points, less than one-tenth of a percent. And the Nasdaq dropped today about one-tenth of a percent as well. U.S. retail sales, though, saw a solid rebound last month. That was after that sharp pullback in December. Commerce Department said today retail sales rose just shy of 4% in January, nearly double what was predicted. But experts say don't read too much into the jump in January's numbers. Some said it's mostly a recovery from that sharp decline in December's retail sales. Others pointed to seasonal adjustments to the data. January's data gets the second largest seasonal boost of the year, while December receives the biggest seasonal deduction. A more apples-to-apples comparison could be compared January of this year to January of last year. In the 12 months through January, retail sales rose by a respectable 13%. Still, that is the lowest year-over-year gain in 11 months. So joining us to discuss retail sales is Alan Hirschhorn, Executive Vice President at GhostBed. GhostBed sells a whole range of bedding uh, products and accessories, pillows, mattresses, etc. Alan, great to see you. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Paul. Thanks for having me. Alan, I feel the pandemic was a great time for furniture stores, bedding stores, and products alike. How are things now in the turn of the year? Are they still as good? They are. You know, unfortunately, business got very good, but for very bad reasons. Um, but when people, you know, turned to being indoors and being in their home, the home got more important. So our sales uh, did rise considerably. All home furnishings uh, industry got a lift from it. Um, and we've continued to see that trend uh, carry forward. Uh, I think people are going to always have more of an orientation for being uh, for their home and being at home. Um, because for the next foreseeable future, um, we're still going to be with this for a while. There was some concern that as we came out of the pandemic, people may start shifting their spending from products from the home, maybe to traveling again, to services again, et cetera. But you guys aren't seeing it yet, at least. We're not. You know, I think some money has gone in that direction. But you have to understand, people were were locked in their homes for 18 months, maybe almost two years. And over that course of time, what they did was pay down their credit card debt and save money because there was nothing to spend money on. You were home. Um, so credit card uh, balances are at all time low and savings that are all time high. So there's a lot of disposable income in the economy right now. Any obstacles coming down the road with regards to supply chain challenges, inflation pressures you guys are feeling or is it pretty rosy outlook? No, look, we are, we're subject to everything that the world's subject to, and there are supply chain issues, and there certainly is uh, pressure on prices. Prices are going up, costs are rising. Um, one of the nice things about our company is, you know, we're a, a privately owned company. Mark Werner is our owner. Um, he, uh, we're self-financed. We fund everything ourselves. Um, the, the suppliers that we do business with are uh, people that we've known for 25, 30 years. Um, so we're doing business with, with, we have very strong relationships with the people we're doing business with. We give them a tremendous amount of business. Um, so they stock our product, they stock raw materials. So we were able to um, see our way through the, the pandemic, see our way through the shortages now. So we've, 
we've we've di shipped on time and delivered to all our customers on time. You seeing any consumer preferences that you can make out? For example, people maybe buying from you guys as an American company as opposed to maybe buying from a, a non-American company or any similar trends you're, you're seeing? You know, we always feel that made in America is best. We also have, uh, we do a tremendous amount of business in Canada and we have factories in Canada as well. Um, we always think that it's nice to be made right here, to be employing, you know, Americans in, in the U.S. So we do our very best to, um, to make everything domestically. We do import some product. Um, but if we can, we do it all right here, and we're we're happy for that. And we think that with all the logistical challenges about shipping from abroad into the United States, we have a leg up on our competitors. How about the outlook for 2022, even 2023? You expect the, the good times to roll? We do. We expect to, you know, we, we're a little different than, than maybe some of the other people out there. We're a, 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 a nimble company. Um, our management team is very short. The owner of the company, Mark Werner, and myself, um, and we make decisions very quickly. We implement things very quickly. Um, we, we're fortunate enough to uh, to meet uh, Venus Williams uh, about a year ago and struck a deal with her um, pretty much in a few weeks. And we've got a brand new uh, mattress line coming out with uh, with Venus Williams as a, as a partnership. Uh, and we're very excited about that. Very exciting. Uh, Alan Hirshhorn, Ghostbed, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. And mortgage rates topped 4% for the first time in more than two years, according to the Mortgage Bankers Association. The 30-year mortgage rate hit just over 4% last week. That's the highest since October 2019. The market is expecting the Fed to raise interest rates multiple times this year to fight inflation, most likely starting mid-March. And with mortgage rates on the rise, demand is dropping. Loan applications dipped over 5% last week, and the MBA's refinancing index fell to a two-year low. Every six weeks, the top people in the Federal Reserve gather to discuss economic policy. Three weeks later, the Fed will release the meeting minutes. Today's minutes showed it's as steady as it goes in the Fed's fight against inflation. The Fed adopted historically loose monetary policy or easy money policy at the beginning of the pandemic. The idea was to support the economy through a lockdown-induced recession. But looking at today's minutes, it seems inflation is a much bigger worry than the health of the economy as a whole. Fed looks set to start raising interest rates, quote, soon. Could even go a step further by reducing the size of its balance sheet, effectively taking money out of the economy. Many blame the Fed's money printing for causing the inflation. Joining us to discuss all things Fed is Danielle DiMortino Booth, author of Fed Up and the CEO of Quill Intelligence. Danielle, as always, great to see you. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me today. Danielle, any new surprises in the minutes you saw today? Oh, well, there were there was a lot of couching going on. Uh, you know, there were big words used like significant. There could be significant balance sheet reduction. They wanted to reduce the balance sheet at a faster pace than they had in 2017 to 2019. All this is good and what good and well, but they also put the caveat out there. You know, notwithstanding, you know, as long as the economic data hang in there, basically. So they always have this disclaimer that says. We're telling you what we're going to do, but we can change our minds and react at any minute if any little thing goes wrong. And I think that that was why there was such a confused reaction initially in the markets. Because mm. today's retail sales were pretty strong, looked pretty strong on the surface at least. We spoke with a retailer just now. He said business is as strong as ever. 
what are you seeing? Well, we are seeing real-time data from a lot of the biggest banks that, that are showing uh, that that US, U.S. households have been using their credit cards like crazy all the way through January. And that tells you that there is very high confidence in people's prospects for their paychecks to continue to grow. At problem, you know, if they're growing their 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 debt loads, and in the fourth quarter we saw credit card debt grow at the fastest in U.S. history, that 52 trillion, 52 billion dollars, excuse me, that was tacked on, we'd never seen a quarter like that, and that continued on into the first quarter, on into the beginning of 2022. So people. Maybe they think that the, that their paycheck or paychecks are going to increase faster than inflation. They're not right now, but maybe that's what they're anticipating. And yesterday's PPI inflation number was pretty hot. You feel that the Fed is a little late to the party to get this, I think, to get it under control. As you mentioned, by election time, it's not going to be uh, under control by then, right? No, uh, well, I mean, I, I think that we could start to see inflation turn in the next few months, but not meaningfully enough to affect the elections. And as for your question as to whether they missed the window, geez, I think they missed it by a good year because we know that speculators have really rushed into the housing market and pushed regular home, first-time home buyers out of the market because prices have come up so much, and that's that's what investors do to markets. That's what speculators do to markets. They come in with other people's money and they bid up the prices and they push out organic buyers. And that's something that a lot of Fed officials saw a year ago and started to raise their hands and say, you know what, we shouldn't be in the business of buying mortgage-backed securities and putting a floor underneath a market that has turned into effectively a bubble. Uh, finally, on that point, um, we see mortgage rates are up near, what, 4% again for the first time in a, in a long time. We see the Fed pulling back in mortgage-backed securities. Uh, what's your outlook for the housing market over the next 12 to 24 months? Well, I think that we could see continued strength by virtue of the fact that there, again, are so many investors. Investors are nearly a third of the market. So there's this artificial prop up out there, if you will. But if, if you follow the purchase applications for loans, they've definitely come under pressure. And there is a, an acute interest rate sensitivity for many households who are living on tight budgets. And that is indeed why I think we've seen traffic go down in the latest data in terms of traffic through new homes. And that's why we've also seen applications to purchase homes go down. And I would add one other thing, and that is that refinancing applications are down by more than 50% year over year. That means that a lot more Americans are not pulling cash out of their homes to support their spending. Daniel DiMartino Booth, Quill Intelligence. Appreciate it as always. Thank you. Thank you. And quickly, staying with the Fed, the head of the Senate Banking Committee delayed a vote Tuesday on President Biden's nominees to the Federal Reserve. Republican senators had objections to the nominee for Wall Street regulator. All Democrat members showed up for the vote, but no Republicans did. Senator Pat Toomey had called on fellow Republicans to skip the vote. He said there were unanswered questions about Sarah Bloom Raskin's past role on the board of a fintech company. So without Republican senators, the panel doesn't have enough members to hold the vote. Panel head said he will try to reschedule a vote, though, as soon as possible. Over in Canada, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's new emergency orders are causing a shakeup in Canada's financial sector. Trudeau is aiming to cut off funds to demonstrators involved in the Freedom Convoy protests. Huge list of businesses, including banks, investment firms, loan and insurance companies, are supposed to first figure out if any of their customers are involved in the protests 
And if they are, the business is supposed to freeze the customer's account and report them to Canadian police. One investment officer told Bloomberg he was caught off guard and is figuring out who and what to look for. Another investment firm says the emergency order is just for show, a move to scare the protesters into submitting and giving up the protests. But that we're going to take a quick break, but still to come. We hear from an entrepreneur who turned a pandemic job loss into an opportunity to start her own business. Now she says she'll never go back to 9 to 5. And a famous sports car from the 1980s is coming back, but this time it'll be electric. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. An iconic sports car went back to the future, and then it was discontinued. Now, it's ready to rev up some new business. The DeLorean Motor Company announced its official return on social media this week, with a new teaser for its DeLorean reimagined. The company says the new electric vehicle is set to premiere this year from the teaser video. The company posted it appears the new DeLorean will keep its signature gull-wing doors. The car was famously used in the Back to the Future film trilogy, but it was a short-lived car. Production only lasted between 81 and 83. That means it was no longer being made when the first Back to the Future movie hit theaters in 1985. These days, air travelers are apparently younger and less well-off. It's according to a new report from Bain, which also predicts airports will lose a good chunk of their revenue as a result. So, how are they going to make ends meet? Anthony's Evelyn Lee spoke with some experts to find out. If you've ever taken a plane, you're probably familiar with all the luxury stores you can find on the way to your gate. But Bain just published a report that says airports won't resemble luxury malls for long. Nilesh Mehta, the CEO of a consulting firm, says it's hard to finance the rent there. The rent's really high, and there's also a lot of overhead. So, when you kind of lose that volume, the overhead and uh, that high rent becomes, you know, a, a, a drain on your company and you lose money on it. Seth Young is a senior director at an airport consulting firm. He says on the flip side, those luxury boutiques and the sales they make are also quite important to the airport. That's especially with their high ticket prices. Uh, the model of, re- of concessions is usually a form of base rent goes to the airport from the concessionaires. Uh, plus a percentage of their, their, the concessionaire's daily revenues. For airports, rent makes up 30% of their revenue on average. That's according to the Airports Council International, or ACI. That's in part because those retail spaces are much more expensive than downtown stores. A former CEO of a duty-free retail company told the Wall Street Journal businesses can expect to pay around 45 to 50 percent of their sales as rent at the airport. In downtown location, it's more around 10 to 30 percent. But according to ACI data, 2021 only saw half of the passenger volume compared to 2019. 
and there will be an increase in younger and less wealthy travelers. Alex Mailbranch, CEO and founder of Plane Ahead, says he has numbers that can underline this. Over three quarters of our customers are under the age of 40. So I would say it's definitely in line with some of the trends that we've been seeing through uh, the COVID times. So where will airport revenue come from in the future? Young says there are opportunities for smarter retail and food and beverage. Instead of fast food counters, he says airports should add more sit-down spaces. Uh, and then have smart ordering technology so you can order from your phone or, or an iPad that's at the table. That can actually generate more revenue because you can process passenger uh, services there quicker. Besides focusing on increasing the volume of smaller ticket transactions, he also thinks that in the future, businesses and airports will be more service-oriented. On top of that, he says, there is government support mechanisms like subsidies or airport fees. Those can potentially help overcome short-term revenue shortfalls. Evelyn Lee, NTD News. It's the largest and most valuable blue diamond to ever come to auction. And it's a recent discovery. The De Beers Cullinan Blue Diamond was mined in 2021 at South Africa's Cullinan Mine. It's one of the few sources in the world for extremely rare blue diamonds. Sotheby's senior president said the jewel is remarkable on many levels. It's rare because of the size. It's over 15 carats. It's vivid blue. It's internally flawless. And really, one of the most rare aspects of it is the cut. It's a step cut, which really requires an exceptionally even saturation of color to achieve that beautiful step cut, rather than a brilliant cut. The Gemological Institute of America graded the diamond a fancy vivid blue. That's the highest possible color grading, according to Sotheby's. It's awarded to no more than 1% of blue diamonds submitted to the Institute. The diamond will be offered in a single-lot auction at Sotheby's Hong Kong this April. It's estimated to resell for more than $48 million. The pandemic has triggered a wave of entrepreneurship as many Americans lost their jobs or found themselves with the time to pursue their ideas. And for one entrepreneur, that meant starting a candle business. And today's Andrew Thomas has more. Shanae Walker is the founder of luxury candle brand Obsidian, the signature black. She decided to start her own business after losing a position in human resources. Rather than looking for another HR job, she took a four-month break to explore other possibilities. I had ordered um, some candle kits and tested those out, and it was extremely therapeutic for me. Um, and in that process, I could just turn on some music and kind of just vibe in my kitchen making candles. They smell really good, so my husband was like, well, why don't you just share these with other people? After making a few candles, she decided to look for ways to make the fragrant products available to others and share the therapeutic experience with customers. The whole point of my business is I'm trying to encourage my customers to take time for self-care. I know myself that I struggle with that. Um, So with making my candles, the whole idea is take a moment, take a breather for yourself. Becoming an entrepreneur has been a big change from the typical work dynamic. But Walker is glad that she took a chance on herself and her idea. I really like it. I would not change a thing. Um, I would never go back to a 9-to-5 job. This is what I feel like I was supposed to be doing. An entrepreneur is something I should have been, been, been being a long time ago. But finally stepped out and took that leap. And I've, I've been doing really well. Working from home has also allowed her to spend more time with her family. 
and she has encouraged her children with her example. And it makes me feel good because they see like, oh, mommy's doing this, so when I'm older, I can start my own business, or if they choose to work a regular job, that's fine too, but at least they know the option is there for themselves to start a business as, as well. Walker's candles were recently featured at New York Fashion Week and the Santa Fe Film Festival. Her next goal is to build her brand and sell her candles globally. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Instead of leaving home to visit Disney's theme parks, you could one day live in a Disney-branded community. Today, Disney announced plans to develop residential communities. The neighborhoods will be part of Story Living by Disney. Each location will feature perks like Disney cast members providing guest services and, of course, live entertainment. The company says its first community will be built in Rancho Mirage, California. It will feature a wide variety of homes, including estates, single-family homes, and condominiums. No details on prices and financing yet, but Disney says homeowners of all ages are welcome. They even plan to have part of their neighborhood designated for those at least 55 years old. As latest business updates for today, you can still catch NTD Evening News with Stephanie Cox. That's at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. For NTD Business, it's all for today. Thank you for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.